This is MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. We're back with more tales of how MTSU faculty members ingeniously found ways to continue teaching students during the early days of the pandemic. Our guest is Dr. Rebecca Fisher, coordinator of the Speech Language Pathology and Audiology program, and we'll hear all about it after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. At MTSU Associate AD for Equipment Operations, Larry Maples was honored as the 2020 Jeff Boss District 4 Equipment Manager of the Year, according to MTSU Athletics Communications. It marks the second time Maples has earned the award, as he was also picked in 2017. District 4 consists of Arkansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Tennessee. Maples, a native of Memphis, is embarking on his sixth season with the Blue Raiders. He oversees all equipment operations while also being involved in facility upgrade projects. In his facility role, Maples has led $1,225,000 in capital maintenance and upgrade projects. He helped steer new video boards for baseball and softball, new softball grandstands, and an upgraded volleyball court. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. We did do some screening right before school started, so I can, I can talk about that in Cannon County. And they are a group that we have done screening with for more than 10 years. So um, what we did there was to, we did sort of the basics. They, in Cannon County, students could, um, they could attend class, they could zoom in, um, they could wear masks, but masks were not, were not required. So before we went in, we just told them everybody had to be masked. So that was the first thing. So anyone who got their hearing screening had to be masked. We separated the students out, like when they lined up to come in for screening, we made sure that they were a safe distance apart. And then when we set up the screening, um, usually what we do is we, we have small portable audiometers and um, we just have a student at each of the audiometers. We spread those around the room. Usually we will bring in the whole class at a time into a room. We kept them outside and just brought in the number of students that we could screen at a time, which was like four students because we had four audiometers. We also just screened here and usually we screen um, middle ear disease, which requires uh, using an instrument in the ear canal, and that was just too close. You know, that would violate um, the uh, protocol. So we just made adjustments that we felt um, went along with uh, what, what, you know, the CDC was suggesting, which was mainly using masks, at that point was using masks and staying six feet apart, and it worked well. We got everybody screened. Uh, and that probably was about right. 500 in, in that school district was probably about right. I'd forgotten about that because that was before classes started. That's <laughs> when so we were still trying to get our act together. When was the Cannon County screening? It was in August, right after school started. Probably maybe the second week in August that we did that. Now, the other thing I can say is that, you know, we have a, um, a full clinic, a speech language hearing clinic here in um, the AMG and we kept that running. And I, I think I'm most proud of that because um, 
we had no outbreaks, but what we did was um, we staggered uh, families and children coming in. So we never had a big group. Um, everybody wore masks. Everybody was had their temperature taken. And our students wore masks and also shields. We had no outbreaks, period. We had a student who had clinic one day and found out the next day that she had COVID, but she was wearing her mask and shield. The clients did not get COVID. I'm probably most proud of that because you really are close to, to clients, you know, when you're doing speech therapy. But I think using both the masks and the shields and having everyone just very, very conscientious really um, enabled us to see patients all the way through this year, including, you know, fall and spring. And the parents were cooperative and understood. You know, I think our, we have a great group of parents and I think they understood a number of them have been with us for several years and I think they appreciate the service. And um, I don't know how people felt about masks, but nobody complained. And, um, you know, we just worked together as a team. We worked together really well. In class labs, there's always been a challenge due to the number of students and a limited number of audiometers. Sometimes five to seven students would have to use oh, yeah. one audiometer. How did you deal with that? I don't know why I had thought about this before, because five to seven is too much under any circumstances. But it happened because the classes were so large that they had to be split so that I would see this was a Tuesday, Thursday class. So the class was split. I saw half the class on Tuesday and half the class on Thursday. When I did the lab, I did one lab on Tuesday, one lab on Thursday. That split the class. And, and so the um, number of students per audiometer was, was four, which was ideal. And it was also ideal because I could really go in between the groups and, and, and do much more um, with them. And I know I remember sitting there thinking, why didn't I think about this before? Because I just had the other, I had given the other class something to do. And I can do that this next year. I mean, so, and that's exactly what I will do. So for me, that was probably the best thing about teaching during the pandemic is I, well, really didn't figure it out. It just sort of popped up, but I, um, am now gonna be able to use strategies during the regular year that I think will improve, improve my teaching. And that's one of them. That was, you know, splitting up these labs and giving students another assignment to do. A pandemic or no pandemic, you can make this standard operational procedure now. And that's exactly what I'm gonna do. We'll be back in a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Middle Tennessee State University Women's Studies Research Series features compelling monthly talks on gender-related topics by faculty and graduate students. The series offers a chance to learn about research in progress and to chat with faculty in an informal setting. All lectures are free and open to the public and are held on the MTSU campus. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. 
For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guest is Dr. Rebecca Fisher, coordinator of the Speech-Language Pathology and Audiology Program. What about uh, multiple people using the same equipment? Do you have to go around and use um, antiseptic wipes, or do, how do you keep the equipment clean? I don't know how many wipes we have we have done, but uh, we purchased, but we had a lot. Um, and we were just, we're always very careful anyways in the clinic because we have small children and, you know, they're spitting, drooling and uh, all that kind of stuff. So even before the pandemic, um, our students always wiped down all of the equipment and the, uh, the tables and things uh, before and after clinic. So we just continued, you know, we continued that and we're just extra vigilant about doing that. So like with the audiometers, um, students would would just would wipe down the audiometer in between and uh, and go from there. So it was really just kind of continuing practices that we already do. You recorded thirty or more short videos yeah. of yeah, words was, for students, and that was in um, the class was phonetics. So uh, which is a class where students learn a new alphabet that we use in speech language pathology to. Uh, record what um, people with speech deficits um, or speech disorders say. And it's a universal alphabet. Uh, Everybody uses it and students have to be able to use it. So one of the things in learning a new alphabet is you have to practice, 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 practice. And so we we spend a lot of time in class practicing. Um, But in the fall, the class was divided into thirds because that class meets three days a week and it was 30 people. So it was 10, 10 and 10. And there, so they only met with me once a week and that was not going to be enough time for practice. So, you know, D2L has that, um, they have a great, it's a video, it's called a video clip. It's really, it's very easy to do. It's not, I love Zoom, but Zoom's a little more takes a little more effort. With this thing, you just go on talking and off you go. So what I did was to um, to put together um, short, about 20, 20 words in a list. Um, the students would have a, a sheet of paper that was self-correcting. So there was a blank here for them to transcribe and the correct transcription was on the other side and they could just fold it over, transcribe and check it. And so I would um, say the words on the video clip and um, let them transcribe. They could do it anytime they wanted. They could go over, you know, they could redo clips. And so I have about 30 clips now. And I think I'm going to put together some additional ones this year because I can really see, um, you know, you could see which sounds were maybe more problematic. But to me, that was another, that was like the, splitting the class in half and, and uh, working with audiometers. This was another, why didn't I think about this earlier? Because it really, it's hard to individualize this class. And yet some people, it's a very simple class. And for some people, it's very difficult. And this is going to enable me, I think, to better meet both of those needs. So they can practice on their own. That's right. Even if they're in, if they happen to catch it and they're in quarantine, 
Mm-hmm. You know, this, this is the way they can keep up with their studies if they're not feeling too bad. Yeah. Yeah. That was, you know, that was the best part about it. And I'm going to try to work out some way that they either turn some way to monitor how they're doing. So um, that part, that piece wasn't in last year. I, mean, I was just barely keeping my head above water. Um, but um, so I want to expand on it this year and have more opportunities for them. But I think that was another thing that really helped that class. So you ended up with two uh, pandemic-inspired practices that are going to become standard procedure now. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, we also maintained our clinic. And I know a lot of clinics that had to close down. And I really am just very proud of our faculty, our students, and our clients that we were able to keep the clinic open. Were they able to get out and uh, have experiential learning in other places? Because of how our schedule works, our students are pretty much are in clinic. Now, um, one thing we did do um, for our, we have um, two clinics that they have to take and three clinics, uh, the third clinic, which is optional. So. Um, with the first two clinics, because of the pandemic, um, we used a program that was available commercially that, um, that presented videos of, um, of cases to students. So students would see an actual um, clinical session and then they would answer questions. We had used those videos the spring before, remember last spring when the semester was cut in half. So we had to come up with something right away because at that point we did close the clinic. The clinic was closed down. And so we knew how these videos worked. And we also knew that they reflected how students were doing in clinic. In other words, the students who did well in clinic did well in the videos and the students who weren't doing quite as well that was also reflected in the video. So we felt like that they were a good uh, example of what the students would experience in clinic. So in the fall, the first clinic um, involved the videos and those students did the videos. And then the second clinic they met, like I said, this spring, we were able to place our, our um, some of our students in one of the optional clinics um, out in Rutherford County and Murfreesboro City Schools. And that, so, you know, they were open enough that our students were able to get out. So that worked really well for them. And the rest of the students were still back in the, um, in the clinic. But I would say, I know, um, I don't know how much we're going to use the, um, uh, the commercial videos, but I know those are another aspect that we are definitely going to incorporate into that first clinic. So actually there's three things, you know, that we um, have gathered from this experience that, that I think really are going to help um, our students and expand the, the ways that we teach. But you're still going to have to be careful because you have some little kids Mm-hmm. Uh, and the FDA has not cleared kids below a certain age to get the vaccine. So you still have to practice certain precautions, right? We will. And I think 
Um, probably in clinic, we will still be using masks and probably the, um, the shields. And that is, um, you know, that's just going to be, that's going to be the way it is. But we, the good thing is we know that works and that has been very effective in, um, uh, in retarding any kind of spread of the, uh, of COVID. So I feel like that will continue um, being a, uh, uh, just being a procedure that we'll use in the fall. Time for another break. This is MTSU on the record. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. Terra wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to Terra, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Dr. Rebecca Fisher, coordinator of the Speech Language Pathology and Audiology program. Yeah, can can you go back to uh March of 2020, like from March until August when you uh, went to Cannon County and right before the fall semester, uh, during that period, what was that like? Because those are the early days of our finally yeah. having a consciousness about the pandemic. In terms of class and clinic in, in the fall or in, the, in that spring until May, it really was just... Um, it was just trying to do the best we could do. I think that um, we like we like face-to-face classes. We are face-to-face teachers, and um, and I think because of our clinical experience, we're used we're used to being face-to-face, and so that did not that did not happen. And we um, we closed the clinic down at that point and used the um, used the videos. And I think that was, you know, we weren't sure about, we just didn't know what was going on. In terms of class, we definitely, we moved straight to Zoom. And that was, you know, and that worked out, did it the best way we could. During the summer, um, we, uh, well, our classes, because we still, we still taught, but our classes were small enough that we could do the six feet apart and all of that. I feel like we really got going in the fall. You know, by that time we could we were able to see what was commercially available. We had more time to plan for our classes. And I know we did Zoom in the summer because I, I remember zooming uh, zooming my classes. So we just zoomed with the material that we had. But by the fall, I think we had we had time to really think about what we could do with our classes, and that's when I think our teaching got a lot better. That I was thinking back to that because that was the spring mid semester there. That was like a complete 180 for the whole campus, mm-hmm. and that's, that was kind of a radical shift. 
Uh, looking ahead to the fall, how many, uh, how many clients do you think you're going to have and how many students, majors, do you think you're going to have? Well, um, I think right now we've got about 150 majors. Our, the number of majors has fallen a little bit, but not, but not much. And um, we, are, um, um, we have a waiting list for clinics, so, so that's in good shape. Um, so I think we're going to be, um, we anticipate really being back to um, full speed. And, but just keeping in mind that we'll be using the, um, uh, using the uh, protective, whatever protective gear we think we're going to need to use. And we're just going to, you know, now with the, you know, the information on the Delta virus and all that, it's, it's kind of a changing game. And so, um, but I do think that, uh, I do think that we will be, I mean, I'm really hoping the classes will, will be able to, to meet as, as usual, but if not, we'll, um, I think we'll be in better shape this fall than we were last fall because we've got a better idea about how this is, you know, how this works and what works for students. So, how many uh, clients can you accommodate in the clinic? Um, it just it, a lot of it depends on how many students we have going through clinic at that time. But we have about we have between about thirty and thirty five families that we see on a regular basis. You know, kind of throughout the throughout the year. And um, sometimes we, uh, we pair students up depending upon the client's needs. That's, that has been a, a, um, a tactic that has worked well, but we always try to give as many students as possible an opportunity to work with the client individually because that's really when, um, you know, you have to bring your A game and it's, and it's just you. <laughs> so we wanna try and keep that open and we especially want to be able to send, put our students into um, placements outside the, um, um, you know, outside off campus, um, because that's an opportunity for them to really um, to work with other people. And so hopefully that will continue. Did the clients uh, function best when they have one person assigned to them and they develop some sort of a bond or do they work well if another student has to be with them from time to time? I think the two student, um, the two student, the team, I got like a team effort. I think that works well for clients. They, um, you know, first of all, it sets up a more natural communication situation where um, like, say, if I was going to try and teach you, um, pronouns like I versus you, it's hard to teach it with just one person because when I say I, you're going to say you, but I can't model that for you. With a third person, that third person can model those things. So in a lot of ways, a third person enables the, the interaction between the client and the clinicians to be more natural. And that's what we want because, you know, we want the, um, our clients to, uh, to generalize um, or to take the skills that they've learned in clinic to the outside world. And, and I think that's a more realistic um, presentation of that. If the general public could not conceive of somebody helping a, the kind of clients you have without the mouth being mm -hmm. visible. And mm -hmm. that's a very logical thing 
With, in behind a mask, you can't see no. half of the face. But what's nice is they developed early on, they developed masks that had plastic here. And so those were the masks that we used in clinic and are actually masks. I have a, a client um, who is, uh, she's in her thirties. She has profound hearing loss. And um, she wrote me and was saying, I'm having a terrible time taking my kids to the pediatrician because I can't see, you know, I can't see them. And she does rely on lip reading. And I told her, I said, tell your pediatrician to, you know, to go online and get these masks because they should have them. So um, that's worked really well with us in our clinic. Are, they're not any more expensive than your common garden variety mask? Well, they may be a little more, they may be a little more expensive, but they really are, um, I think, masks that um, professionals should invest in um, because uh, it's not just, you know, a lot of, a number of people, particularly, um, you know, as we get older, uh, almost a third of people over the age of 60 have hearing, have some kind of hearing loss. And so, you know, if they're going to an internist or um, gerontologist or whoever, um, it would be nice uh, for them to, to really understand. And so to me, having those clear masks is really just something professionals should, they should just do as, as just a part of their practice. The general gist of it is we made it, we've We've got some. We got some new ideas, like you said, that we're going to um, we're going to incorporate, which I'm the most excited about. Um, but I just, like I said, we're so appreciative for the families that we work with, and for our students uh, and faculty. But I think our students were great about, um, you know, if they had been exposed, they stayed out. Um, of class and we just had, we had no outbreaks. And I think that is, that really says a lot for our program and for our students. Our thanks to Dr. Rebecca Fisher for being our guest on MTSU On The Record. We'll be right back. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte Gross, WISE Advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Stephanie Barrett has the middle moment. In the Geoscience of Caves course, students participated in and contributed to research on the local snail shell cave in Rockville, Tennessee, that was recently published in the International Journal of Speleology. 
Course Professor Mark Abelins talked about the importance of cave research and how to get involved in cave study at MTSU. Uh, these caves are home to many unique animals. Uh, and the more that we humans can understand about their home, uh, the better we can be uh, at helping uh, those animals uh, live uh, even as we live uh, here in Middle Tennessee. Uh, if you're interested in caves, we here at MTSU have a whole variety of courses uh, that students can take uh, to learn more, courses in field geology, courses in water, uh, all variety of courses within the geosciences and environmental science programs. That's MTSU on the record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.